Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. As we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament, and uh, I have this down as part number 192. That's a that's a nice long series, and we still got quite a ways to go because there's quite a few books and chapters coming up yet. But we're making great progress. We've uh, over the last three years. Um, we have um, looked at the Gospels together, the book of Acts, and then out of the book of Acts, we've been concentrating on the letters Paul wrote back to the churches that he established during his missionary journeys. This helps us to keep the scripture in context, which is um, how we need to study and understand it, and it helps us uh, and gives us a foundation um, for living this life, and also for dealing with, you know, all of the sort of not so good teachings that are out there and there's a lot of them and you know false teachings often sound good um, and, 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 and yet if, if they don't line up with scripture um, then we know that there's problems and that's that we always have to take everything back to that well does it line up with the word of God does it does it you know does it fit with what we understand to be you know uh, biblical authority based on the context of the scriptures as you hold them together. Most false teachings will start to twist stuff and take stuff out of context, and that's when you need to go, wait a minute, that's not really what that means. Um, and so you, you can't do what you're doing with those verses and, and maintain a, a theological standard. So uh, our studying of scripture is very important uh, in all these aspects of life, and uh, it helps us to continue to press into the Lord and to grow and to to figure out what this life is and and what we're supposed to be doing and uh, keeps us connected to God the the Bible understanding the Bible reading the Bible meditating on the Scripture is such a valuable tool and asset that we have and we should never take it for granted um, it should be incorporated into our lives. Um, the, the reading of it on a daily basis, a, a constant and consistent studying of it, and trying to, um, you know, uh, allow the Spirit of God to continue to teach us what's in there and, and how it fits and how important it is in our lives. And so, um, you know, I'm always happy when, when we get together on Wednesday night to see that you're here and that you're you're interested in, in, uh, in opening the book and studying and um, my prayer as we get together is always that, that the Spirit of God just illuminates to us the, the Word and that it speaks to us and we learn from it even in those passages that sometimes seem a little sort of obscure or, or out of place or, or whatever that, that all of them are helpful um, for us to understand and to sort of know what's going on so here uh, in these letters as, as Paul is kind of we're getting to the end of Paul's letters now these letters to Timothy First and Second Timothy and, and the letter to Titus um, we'll sort of wrap up Paul's letters. We'll we'll do the book of Hebrews next, which some people believe Paul wrote, but um, it's not for sure. We're not sure. Some people think Apollos wrote it. Some some uh, there's some other discussion, but but uh, it's it's very possible it was Paul. But we'll we'll hold that one out there in tension. Um, but as he writes these letters to Timothy and Titus, these are these are young men who he's mentored um, and who he's trained for the ministry, and they're off. Um, you know, overseeing areas and, and churches in areas. Um, Timothy is in Ephesus, overseeing the churches there. And uh, uh, Paul's in these letters is is telling him the importance of continuing to teach not not just knowledge but um, biblical life 
And so he's hitting a lot of practical issues uh, throughout this letter and uh, giving Timothy a lot of advice and a lot of encouragement for the journey that he's on and uh, for what he's undertaking. And so we have some, some interesting things here in 1 Timothy 5. It's 25 verses beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading. Uh, you can follow along if you want in the notes that we gave you or in your Bibles in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desire overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. I always just thought those were a couple of funny verses. I, I just uh, So I'm, I'm grinning as I read them. I don't know why they strike me as funny, but they always do. Um, that Paul's kind of just really... Um, I think he's had some experience because he's just on that one. This is their habit. They get idle and go from house to house. And not only are they idle, they're gossipers and busybodies. I wonder what the actual word in the Greek was for that. Anyway. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while, while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin... Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that the others may take warning. I charge you, in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, some interesting verses in First Timothy. Let's dig into the first few. First Timothy 5, 1 through 3. And the advice that Paul gives Timothy is this. In the church, we should treat each other like part of a family. Particularly those uh, in leadership need to treat people 
in the church this way. Um, and, and this has been, unfortunately, abused in the church in a lot of ways. The, the male leaders in the church should always treat the women in the church as family members to avoid improper attitudes and to make sure that they protect them and help them to grow spiritually. And that's a trust that should never be taken lightly. Honor and respect are important in all of our church relationships. And so we just need to be very, very much aware of that. We're, we're the family of God. We, we're the body of Christ. And in our interpersonal relationships, they always need to be absolutely respectful and, and kind and loving and encouraging. And, and uh, we're, we're trying to motivate one another to, to uh, help uh, one another on in the Lord. And we need to make sure that we maintain absolute purity in those relationships with one another. It's just a vital issue. When, when, that's not, when they're not held in that esteem and that account, the enemy gets in and he just wreaks havoc. And unfortunately, it happens in the church um, far too often. And, and you know, we just need to be aware of what we're doing and, and focused in on um, uh, you know, who we all are in Christ and, and why we're here and what this is all about. And so you know, it's not a... Uh, it's, it's, there's a bigger picture than just our little narrow focus and we need to be very much aware of that situation. Verses 3 through 16 is a very, rather long discussion on um, how widows in the church are to be provided for. Now remember, at this time in history, there's no social security, there's no pension plans, there's no life insurance. So the care of widows was a major concern for the church. Um, uh, three out of four marriages, probably even greater then, but consistently still, and where where there's a a widow involved at the uh, in a marriage, um, and so it's a it's a it's a prevalent situation. Back then, the way things were um, at that point in time, if if a widow didn't have some sort of support system around her, she would fall into absolute uh, horrific poverty um, very quickly. And so um, the church had a, a great concern for the widows. But um, it, it, there, were, there were these guidelines that Paul laid out in, in the ways that they should be provided for. First off, if they had family, the family was to provide for them. Um, uh, you know, children and family were to take care of the people in their families. Um, if, if she didn't have that, then the church had in place a system where certain widows... Um, could, uh, uh, in exchange for serving the church, that's what I mean to be put on the list, um, the church would then help to take care of them. Uh, they were put on the, the list for support. Um, and, and what they would do is they would take a vow committing themselves to work for the church in exchange for, for being taken care of. And uh, there's a qualification for that. It wasn't just everybody going to. These widows needed to be at least 60. They needed to have been faithful to their husbands. They were to be well known for their kind deeds. And the younger widows were not to be included in that group. Paul, Paul was all for the younger widows remarrying and, and, um, and, and continuing to engage in life because if they made this type of commitment to the church and then they, they were to find someone, um, they would sort of have to break that commitment. And that was Paul saying, you know, just, just don't make that. You need to hang in there and trust in that situation. So the church... Uh, again, you know, we started talking about treating like like family. Um, we need to be aware of that and and uh, um, be ready to help where we can. But in our own families, we always need to be setting an example and trying to care for the ones that we can 
uh, in the process. Um, so there's that. I was going to say that see all those. The problem is that um, there's qualifications so that that people don't take advantage. So that, I think that's why a lot of times we we get pulled back is that that unfortunately there's always people that want to take advantage of that stuff and not hold up their end of it. And that happens in families and it happens in churches and we just need to be aware of that. And that that that's an that's something that is to be addressed. And uh, so sometimes. Uh, people will try and use the scripture to manipulate people to do things that they want them to do, and that's not okay. Just just so you know, if anybody tries to um, use the scripture in a way that, that manipulates you into thinking that you should be doing something that... that but it, again, it needs to measure up with the whole of scripture. And so be careful. Sometimes, you know, I have people come and tell me things that they think we should be doing for them, and... and um, I, I often go, I don't think that's really right. Um, so, so be very careful of, of people trying to manipulate you in, in areas. And yet at the same time, we don't want to go to a place that because we've all sort of, I think, experienced that um, where someone has tried to take advantage of us or, or tried to take advantage of, of um, our heart's desire to you know, bless God and be kind, um, then we start not being open to even thinking about those situations. So there's a balance. So I want to encourage you to be aware of the balance and to press into that where you can. Because um, it's, it's always good to be kind and, and loving, and love covers a multitude of sins. At the same time, good boundaries keep us from being manipulated and used out of, out of you know, guilt or fear or any other tactic. Um, anything that you do that's not out of love, you need to look at. That's that's all I know. Um, if 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 you're doing something and it's not coming from a place of love, it needs to be examined as to why then you're doing it. Because that's that should be the foundation for what we do, um, and and so we need to look at that. Um, verses 17 through 18. Uh, it, it it talks about um, the 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 preachers and teachers in the community. And preaching and teaching closely related uh, in the process. Preaching is proclaiming the word of God and confronting listeners with the truth of scripture. Teaching is explaining the truth in scripture. Um, helping learners to understand the passages that are more difficult. And then, um, you know, helping them uh, to apply God's word in daily life. That's, that's what's taking place. And so the, the two are tied together. In preaching, we, we bring out the truth of scripture. And then in the, the teaching aspect of it, we try and apply those truths into our lives and it talks about um, you know uh, respecting or uh, being appreciative of people that uh, are tasked with that amongst you and um, you know what I always encourage people is is this that that perhaps the best way that uh, you can you can bless pastors and teachers um, that that you that um, are there for you is to pray for them I mean, really take it on as a as a ministry that you pray for pastors and leaders who are tasked with preaching and teaching, and and make it a part of your regular life. Pray for their safety, pray for wisdom, um, for blessing, pray for their families, pray for peace, pray for rest, pray for strength. Um, just just make it a, a a part and a priority of your life um, to to pray for the people that um, you're you're being taught by. 
and, and receiving from. Uh, it goes on in 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. And, and he talks about why it's so important that this kind of prayer is being lifted up for the leaders because um, people that, that preach and teach are not exempt from sin, from failure, from mistakes, from faults. Um, oftentimes people in those positions are criticized for wrong reasons, um, for minor imperfections, for uh, failure to meet people's expectations, uh, personality clashes in the body. And, and so Paul says, look, be careful that, that um, in, in dealing with uh, pastors and, and, and uh, preachers and teachers, that you, um, if you have an issue, that it's well documented among several witnesses and not just somebody who's um, sort of disgruntled. Because um, sometimes people get disgruntled. Anybody here ever get disgruntled before? And, and what, if it's disgruntled, what is gruntled? I always wondered that. I've never, I don't know if gruntled is a thing. Maybe if you're, and is gruntled good if disgruntled is not so good? I don't know. And I don't know why I'm talking about it other than I just kept coming. This has got to stop now. Um, but even, even in situations where something needs to be addressed, it, it, you know, the, the, and we've talked about this in other issues. Remember, we're, we're a community. The church is to be a community where we're always hoping for restoration. Um, that's what we're looking for. We, 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 the end is not getting rid of something or someone. You know, we want to see restoration. That's always our hope and prayer in the process. You know, Paul even said that he'd, you know, kick people out um, from time to time. But it was only to sort of let them see how hard it is out there and to help them in the process of being restored again. That's always the goal. And we need to be aware of that. And so when we, when we have to deal with issues... It should always be done in love. It needs to be very fair and for the purpose of restoration. And, and you know, the spiritual health of the church is, um, is directly tied into the spiritual health of the leadership of the church. I mean, it just is. It's how they, they always have and always will go uh, hand in hand. So the best thing to do, pray for your leaders. Make it an absolute part of your daily life that you're praying for your leaders. Uh, then in verses 22 through 25... Um, Paul goes on because of all these issues he said be careful not to choose leaders quickly or hastily um, and, and because if you do you can, you can miss some big problems that you should have caught if you just had a little more time and uh, so he says to do that and then he, there's this great verse at the end a lot of people wonder about this why Paul's telling Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach and uh, people have a lot of different concepts and ideas when they read that and it's not a verse to justify um, uh, doing things out of moderation. Um, what's what's happening is that um, the, the water supply 2,000 years ago was not good. And um, so the water was often contaminated. It made people sick all the time. And so they, they would um, often drink um, uh, wine because it had alcohol in it and it wasn't contaminated. It was better for them to drink. Most of the time, they cut the water with it. So what they were drinking was primarily water with a little bit of wine in it. The alcohol would, would help them not to get sick from the water. It took a long time for people to figure out that water was causing so many issues. They just knew if they weren't drinking the water, they tended to stay healthier. Um, and, and so it took, um, it took the process of them figuring out that boiling water made it better to drink. Um, most of that happened through the medieval age, medieval medieval times because um, believe it or not the monks were producing beer and they boiled the water in the process 
And after a while, they finally figured out that it was the boiling of the water that made it safe to drink. And, and, uh, and so once they figured that out, then they didn't need to drink beer anymore. Not that they stopped, but <laughs> you should be able to stop because we figured out the whole water thing now, see? So it's no longer an issue. Really, it was that whole process that allowed them to urbanize. Did, do you know that the reason that people didn't move into cities very often was because they, the water made them sick all the time. Once they figured out how to boil the water, um, they were, which through this really was through this process of brewing beer, they all sort of figured it out. They were able to get together and, and build in cities. Initially, it was around beer. They were making beer, and so they could live in these cities together, believe it or not. Because um, now, now everybody got along. You know, um, <laughs> suddenly, you don't bother me anymore. Let's live next door. Um, it all had to do with the water. Having figured out the water issue now, then these are not verses that just say, go and be wild. Moderation in everything. But that's why um, th th this would help him in the process to be very careful, okay? So we, now that we have good water, we don't need to move in other directions. So be aware of that and what's happening. And uh, that's enough for 1 Timothy 5. Um, 1 Timothy 6 next week, and then we'll move into 2 Timothy, and then into Titus. So uh, keep on reading ahead and praying. If you're watching by television or on video, thank you so much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is, and we appreciate it very much. And, uh, and please come and visit us when you can. Uh, and uh, here right on Big Pine, we'd love to see you. If you need prayer, go to our website at keysvineyard.com. Look for the prayer page, and we will pray for you.